So I couldn't get mad when I would counsel or speak to young women or friends about, you know, oh, I'm not ready. I don't want to get out because I would always have to look back and say, you know what? It didn't happen overnight for me. I didn't just get up. You know, I was in love and he would abuse me, hurt me. He would apologize. We're back to lovey-dovey. So one day I had to be tired of being sick and tired. So, you know, I always just like shared my story. I, I understand you. I feel you. I, I, I know where you are. But one point of our life, we're going to have to, if they don't change, we're going to have to make the change. We can't allow them to make the change for us because the change that this person may make for us. Listening to the Woman Inc. podcast. Woman Inc. is a San Francisco based nonprofit that has been serving the city and larger Bay Area since 1978. We support survivors of domestic violence and their loved ones along their healing journeys, bridging value rich networks designed to address intersections of violence. So, hello, everyone. I want to introduce you to an amazing woman I came in contact with. Actually, she contacted me and called me and Woman Inc. out really with love, called us in to back up our uh, messaging around wanting to create space and include stories and service for and of um, for Black women, African-American women. And really didn't think that the way we were treated in terms of communication at Woman Inc. stood up to that messaging. And that's how we met, Vanessa. It, it was an ouch and grow moment. And um, <laughs> I, you know, really took that to heart. And then when I reached out, I, I, was, I was a little scared because I was like, she's right, you know, and um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to. <laughs> hold myself and our organization accountable to that and I reached out and I was like oh what a lovely person with so much history and so much history at Woman Inc and so in part that's why I wanted to talk with you on the podcast you're all going to hear some of Vanessa's story but it's so powerful and um um, so you've done so much and you've survived so much and yet you are so kind and a helper and was you were so kind to me in this moment back a year ago I guess now that I reached out to you even when we weren't doing the best we could do as an organization and I wasn't doing the best I could be doing as the executive director of that organization you were still held me with a lot of love and kindness just really glad you reached out and we're like hey <laughs> what 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 do you mean so thank you for that Vanessa how did you first come in contact with Womanique like tell us a little bit about you I guess I must have looked through the phone book or some I don't think computers were really out like that I didn't have a computer or a cell phone. was this in the I, 90s this was 1989 or 88 <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was probably like around 1989 or 88. And I remember uh, being in this domestic, I was in this domestic relationship for probably almost three or four years. 
and I was really getting tired. And I remember the guy saying to me that um, one day that he was going to kill me. He was like, you know, one day, you know, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, hmm, okay, you know. And I remember somehow I must have went through the yellow pages or called 411 and asked for some something about domestic violence. And I ended up stumbling up on Women's Inc. And I remember they were in, they were on Mission Street somewhere and next door was the Irish Center. Yeah, the Irish Center, I think that's what it's called. I know it was yeah. a program for women. Yeah. And when we were on Valencia, right? In yes, Mission? yes, Valencia. So yes, yes. I went over there and the lady answered the door. And I remember it was Jeanette, an African woman lady named Jeanette. And I was just telling her a story and I was telling her like everything that I've been through and how I wanted some help and I didn't know what to do. And I was explaining to him, you know, my dad, my dad, at that, my mom was a teacher. My dad was an officer and I didn't want to get anybody involved. And I was living in such isolation. I had like a daughter and a son and he wasn't, he wasn't abusive to the kids, but he was just like very abusive to me. So we were going through, you know, me, me and her were just talking and I ended up, I guess, being like set up for like therapy. And I just remember that first day, somehow me and her connected because I don't remember like maybe just getting some information and coming back. I remember like after me and her talked, like we must've made some time in her schedule that maybe every Tuesday or something around 12 or whatever that I was able to come and I would just speak to her. And that's how I think how we first, how I first came into coming to a women's Inc. It was just somewhere off a fluke. I must've, I had to maybe call 411 or something. I can't remember like how I got the number, but once I came, it wasn't like sitting down and um, like contemplating back and forth. I remember once I came, spoke to her, I guess we had some type of connection because she was African-American and so was I, that I never stopped coming after that day. And you didn't. And then what other role did you play at Women Inc? Because it's not just um, client. <laughs> my gosh, not after just being a client. I remember she taught me how to do facilitate meetings and from doing facilitation, I facilitated groups. And then from facilitating groups, I went to work in the crisis line. So I did from Friday to Sunday from midnight to like eight o'clock. And I don't know. I just, you know, from there, I started working at, um, La Casa de las Madres, I worked there for like a year or two. And I don't know, this things just happened. I just started like working all these places. I kind of stopped after like maybe four or five years doing the, um, the crisis line. And then I moved into like doing nursing. But like, I never forgot the skill or the trade. Most of my friends that I hung out with, they were actually an abusive relationship. It was like five of us. So I started like kind of like mentoring them and talking to them about domestic violence and giving them tools and skills. But then I, but then I remember saying to myself, like, I can't give these people tools and resources if I'm still going to be in the relationship. So I even made my own safety plan and figured out a way to get out. 
and not return. Mm. Yeah. Because I, yeah, you know, I felt like, how can I help these people if I'm not really being honest and true to myself? Like right now, this person is being nice and we're back in the honeymoon stage, but one day he's going to get back to where he was. And how can I counsel these women and people if I'm still like hanging on the fence? So I remember it was about 1995. Ooh, that's still long time. <laughs> 19. <laughs> It's a, it's a spell. <laughs> yeah. 1995. And I remember that day, um, I was graduating from uh, cosmetology school and we had an altercation on the bus. And once the police came and took him out my house, that was like the day I'll never forget. I decided that I would never go back. That was my escape. Once they took him to jail, for those 72 hours, I had picked up my stuff, I had moved and I've never looked back. Wow, yeah. And you, you have done so much, you know, I guess in, in therapy and in group and stuff, referred to as the hard work where you're really doing a lot of contemplation and self-reflection and making these amazing changes. Um, can you share a little bit about how your own personal experience with domestic violence impacted the way that you then work with survivors? Mm. I guess my, through my own experience, uh, I learned not to be judgmental and treat people like fragile boxes with care. I always look back never got mad that if a person didn't want to make a safety plan or wasn't sure if they wanted to get out of the situation. I just always kept letting them know that, you know, I would always be here for them, but there would be a time in our life that if we kept pursuing maybe these relationships, that there would be a time that the only time this person would give us flowers is if we were dead. And it seemed like very harsh at the time, but I had to remind myself because I think that's one thing I remember being at Woman Inc. They would show this film and they would show like these women going back and forth to their spouses. And then there was this spouse that um, came to his wife's funeral. And I remember the lady's voice saying, he never gave me flowers while I live, but he gave them to me today. And that really like stuck with me that he gave, like he put like those 12 roses on top of his copper, like, um, what do you call that, um, casket. So I always try to keep myself in remembrance of, you know, I understand we think that these men that we're with are women that could change. But and they have potential. But it was like if they don't see it, and we always want things for everybody else, we gotta want a dream and a vision for ourselves. And so that's what I would instill. Like I wouldn't get mad because I would remember like I was with this guy for so long. So I couldn't get mad when I would counsel or speak to young women or friends about, you know, oh, I'm not ready, I don't want to get out, because I would always have to look back and say, you know what? It didn't happen overnight for me. I didn't just get up like, you know, 
I was in love and he would abuse me, hurt me. He would apologize, buy me a gift, buy me a ring. We're back to lovey-dovey. To one day I had to be tired of being sick and tired. So, you know, I always just like shared my story. I, I understand you. I feel you. I, I, I know where you are. But one point of our life, we're going to have to, if they don't change, we're going to have to make the change. We can't allow them to make the change for us because the change that this person may make for us may be our life. And then we don't win. And to me, it's like I needed to be the, the winner in this situation. Like I've, I've been so down and out all my life, like having, um, you know, having low self-esteem and um, feeling empowered. And then sometimes I would feel like I was a double agent. I wasn't really true with myself because if I was still in the situation, then I wasn't really genuine. And I wanted to be in the point that I was really genuine and real to myself. So when I would counsel people, I would just explain and tell the truth. I, the truth hurt it. Like you can't counsel or, or help anyone if you're not going to be honest and 100, 110% real with yourself. Because once you're counseling and talking to other people, you can't do nothing but look at yourself in the mirror. And if you're not being honest, then your face is going to look at you and say, liar. <laughs> right. And it was like, I didn't want to be a facade and I didn't want to be not the truth. I wanted to be the truth. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just hearing how through that struggle comes the ability to transcend sympathy to, to empathy for survivors. and. I mean, not everyone's able to do that. You know, not everyone has been through. No one's been through exactly what you've been through, but there are others who haven't even been through domestic violence. And I think that sets you up to be a really impactful, amazing supporter, helper, counselor, whatever it is you're doing. And um, I know that you're not currently working at Woman Inc., but you are still helping people and offering support in case management. And I'm wondering if anything about your time at Woman Inc. kind of inspired you to do this with your career to help people? Like, can you speak to that at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Woman Inc. was a big part with me being a people person because someone looked down, looked out at me and said, hey, let me know that I am important. I am enough. And she really spoke to me as being not just a woman, but just being a human being and teaching me like how to value myself, you know, because I was at a very low place in my life. Like if anybody knows, it's like you can't have really high self-esteem and being beaten almost every day or weekly. Like that doesn't play a part. Lisa didn't play a part in my life. I had very low self-esteem. I didn't think highly of myself. I didn't even go to school, barely had friends. I, I was willing, I was going to, I was in college and going to nursing school. It was like, but I live like two different types of lifestyle. Like I didn't have friends. I didn't invite them over. And I think that from Women Inc. and dealing with, uh, people from all sides of the world, it was like, we. Ha if one thing we did have, we had in common that 
we were in really bad relationships and we all wanted to jump ship and get out, but we just didn't know. We threw different ideas out, but we didn't grasp them. Maybe like the way we had, because we still had one foot in trying to, thinking that we could save the relationship. But I do remember like being there, it just taught me how to love people and not look at people as, oh, she's white, oh, she's Indian, or oh, she's Latina. It was like, no, we're all the same kind. We, if at the end of the day, if it's nothing else that we all bleed. And I think sometimes society plays this, pins up, pins us up sometime against one another when it comes down to culture and um, being African-American or being white, we'll look at, because we see these things on TV, like I remember looking at old soap operas where when a woman is being in a domestic violence relationship, how the man slaps them and they spin around in the circle and they lay, you know, they lay on the floor, whatever, which pretty much untrue, but this is how they did it. It was like with us, I realized that no, like this person was shot. This person got her eye taken out. This person, like there is no different way when you're a woman of color than being a white woman. Like the violence is real. The violence hurts. Mm. And it's not no soft type of violence. Like we all were in the same game. We just had to learn how to get out. And it was like, that's how I think I built a lot of friendships. It was like, I was able to work with all kinds of people Mm -hmm. because I always felt that, you know, that certain nationalities were racist, but when we came together, we all were, we all were the same people. Like we all worked together. And I think that's where it started that I was able to empathize with people and be able to work with other people because we had something in common. You know, we had something in common. I think it was just the love that we wanted each other to win, no matter what happened. We wanted each other to win. We wanted them to survive. We wanted them to keep their families. And that's how we just, we, every, I think it was like a Tuesday, like around 12, we would have our meetings. I think that's how it kind of brought me into. And it was like a great networking. Like when people found jobs or other jobs, people shared that information. So it's just not just a support group. People were talking about, oh, you know, they're hiring over here or this and that is going on. And maybe some people, they couldn't work because maybe their spouse wouldn't allow them or they would they would figure out that if they were starting to work, that they were breaking out from up under them. But I mean, I think that's how I learned. Like we just, I learned to work with people because I really, I wasn't like really working. I was just staying in home, working with my, working, just being with my kids. But I think that's how I learned how to work with other people. Like from starting right there from scratch, right from our meeting, you learn relationships and how to talk to people and stuff like that. It sounds like you really built all kinds of community there in all these different ways. Like not only as a survivor participant, but then as a facilitator and then on the line. And I know that you went through the 40 hour training. So you were also a a part of that little community. Um, and it's really, it's really special. I I really wish we could find Jeanette. I wish I knew who Jeanette was. It would be so great to find her and talk to her and learn 
you know, her perspective on the history of Woman Inc. and what Woman Inc. was back then and just to hear her story. Jeanette, if you're out there, <laughs> get in touch. <laughs> We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> um, I would love to know where she was because if it wasn't from, for her, like, I wouldn't be where I was. Like, she really reached out to me and she had such a warm, kind heart and she knew just how to talk to me. Like, she just had the right words to say. I mean, I think that was, I mean, she made me feel confident. And I remember just that that first day that I came, I knew that I maybe not be getting out of that relationship at the time, but she gave me hope that there was going to be a way, like just by the way that she talked to me, she let me know that there was going to be, you know, I would get some tools, like I wouldn't be stuck in this forever. Thanks for listening to our first entry in a series of conversations with Women Inc. Ambassador Vanessa. Stay tuned for the coming segment where Vanessa and Jill talk about race and racism in the domestic violence field and in broader community-based work.